exclusivity is a secret sauce for our ABM program, meaning let's do it for a smallish number of accounts. And uh, in North America, we cover about 50 accounts at a time. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sanger always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Fall podcast. I'm here today with Steve Watt. He's the ABM strategist for Corey. And it's fantastic because he has done an entire takeover series, Take Tuesday takeovers that we have done last year. So thankfully, he's been able to do another five-part series. And this is all about big enterprises doing complex deals and how ABM actually works. And he has some phenomenal guests. So uh, Steve, again, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Sangram. It's such a pleasure to work with you on this. I've loved my opportunity to to be the guy who brings some stories around ABM in large, complex organizations. As you said, we did some great episodes last year, and we're back with five this year. And I'm able to do this because I work with Corey, which is a demand marketing agency that focuses exclusively on large B2B organizations. And and that opens a lot of doors for me with our clients, with our prospects, with analysts, and just with leaders in the field generally. And I am very excited to bring a number of really good conversations to the Flip My Funnel community. Yeah. And this this is really, really interesting because a lot of people are struggling right now and probably are wondering like, hey, is this a great time to do what, you know, ABM right now? And it's complex, it's hard. So I love the lens that you've used for all of them. So, so let's dig into it. Who's the first one that you plan to bring up? Our first guest is Eric Martin, and he's VP of ABM for the Americas at SAP. And I first encountered Eric at a conference, and he did a, a presentation called a 300-company market of one. And I was like, okay, that sounds really cool. What, what's he on about? And it's a fascinating story about how SAP worked very closely with a very large private equity firm to sell to many of the firms with PE firms portfolio, firms that each are smaller than a typical client for SAP, but collectively represent a huge market opportunity. And they went about it in a really smart and strategic way and proved that it could be done and laid the foundations to do that in a whole lot of other areas as well. So our first episode is SAP's Eric Martin. That's awesome, Matt. Let's get into it. Hello, Flip My Funnel. 
and welcome back for another episode in the ongoing series on ABM in large, sophisticated enterprises. My name is Steve Watt. I'm an ABM strategist at Quarry, demand marketing agency that focuses on large B2B firms and standing up this sort of sophisticated ABM program. And one of the things that we love to do, in addition to sharing case studies and stories from our own work and our clients' work, we also love to speak with leaders in the space. And I had the great pleasure of attending the ITSMA conference in Boston. One of the speakers there is our guest today. He's VP Marketing for ABM in North America at SAP. Eric Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. I was really impressed with the presentation that you gave in Boston, and I know that everyone else there was as well. And we're going to talk about that. And it was a really interesting deep dive into a, I found it a a very innovative and obviously a very successful approach to using ABM to open up a new market for SAP. And we're going to go there in the second half of today's episode. Before we go there, can you give us an understanding of where ABM comes into play for SAP and your role in building that? Sure, I'd I'd be glad to. And as you said, Steve, my my role is a VP of of marketing, specifically for the account-based marketing program in North America. Like a lot of mature enterprise technology companies in this market, we derive a very large percentage of business year after year from a relatively small number of accounts. SAP has been very fortunate that way. At the same time, our portfolio of offerings has grown. It's really exploded in the last 10 or so years, especially as we moved to become more of a cloud software provider. So the combination of those two things really made for a great business case here in North America specifically. It's a very mature market. There's um, a large number of multinational companies that represent a high percentage of revenue for SAP and in North America. And we, about five years ago, launched the program and decided that we wanted to market to those companies in a way that made it clear that we understood their business, that we were very familiar with them, that they were friends of ours, um, and that we saw new opportunities for them to take advantage of some of the newer offerings from SAP. So that was the, the genesis of the program. As I said, we've been managing it for about five years I know you asked the question is, what's the relative size of the program for us at SAP? I'd say it's still somewhat small, nimble, and somewhat emerging within the company, despite the five-year history. One of my colleagues is fond of saying that exclusivity is a secret sauce for our ABM program, meaning let's do it for a smallish number of accounts. And uh, in North America, we cover about 50 accounts at a time. So I know some of your listeners are taking ABM to a much wider set of accounts. We are doing, I suppose, more of the one-to-one, one-to-few model across those 50 accounts. And so that exclusivity, I think, has given us the ability to be perhaps more impactful with some accounts at the top of that pyramid. 50 accounts total in North America. That is highly focused. Are those all existing customers that you're growing share of wallet or are some of them greenfield? How do you look at that? It's uh, probably a 90 to 10 split for install base would be the 90 and the other 10% would be some of those greenfield accounts. You know, they're identified as must win or rapid growth companies that, that have a great 
fit for SAP and we think we can be effective if we add more marketing to the sales mix there. But the other 90% are existing customers. But as I said, with the growth of our portfolio, there's a lot of white space even within those accounts. That's, I think, a really important piece of ABM in large enterprises is in a lot of smaller firms, it's about primarily, it's about greenfield client acquisition. But in firms, the scale of SAP, it's almost always, as you describe it there, it's primarily a function of expansion within existing accounts where you know that the ultimate size of prize is much, much larger than it is today. So is that your primary success metric, growth within those clients, or, or how do you know that you're doing well? The three ways that we look at our success with the ABM program is revenue and conversion to revenue. So I know most enterprise marketers look at conversion to booked in one we have a higher percentage of booked one for those accounts and for those deals where ABM is applied than if it's not applied, right? It seems almost self-evident. Another thing that we'll look at is velocity. And by that, I mean, how quickly does a deal close? And we see there is more velocity for those deals where ABM is applied with the exception of the third metric that we look at is deal size. And sometimes those two things, those velocity and deal size can be somewhat in conflict, right? A deal will take longer to close if it's a larger deal and we're adding things to the bill of material over time. And sometimes that's the value of the ABM approach is growing a deal from something that could look transactional to begin with to something that's much more strategic or even transformational for some of our large clients. And so those two things can be intention, but as long as we are clear account by account what the objectives are then some combination of closed revenue, deal velocity, and deal size are the primary ways that we look at the success of the ABM program. That's a great point about the tension between deal size and deal velocity. But I guess if your eye is always on the bigger objective of growing your revenue within that firm, then that helps smooth any tensions there, right? It's like, okay, well, we may get there with one giant deal, or we may get there with two or three or four smaller deals. As long as we get there, they're both good, right? In general, yes. And and the reason I'm using that caveat is because we occasionally have exceptions where there's an account where it's strategically important for us to help that account post-sale. So the metric there is less, it's not revenue in those cases. Maybe they bought from us last year and the length of these sales cycles indicates that it's going to be a couple of years again before they they have a significant transaction with us. In the meantime, what we can do from ABM is to help with consumption and adoption within that account. And that can be incredibly important for the strategic health of that account moving forward. And of course, we want all of our customers to be successful and be advocates for us and referenceable. So there are occasions where ABM is applied and we take our eye off of short-term revenue in the the long-term health interests of that account and the relationship. And the 50 accounts, would I be right in presuming that they are in there for the long haul because they are accounts of particular strategic importance for you and particular revenue upside potential such that you're not cycling you know, a new 50 every quarter or every year or anything like that. Am I right in that assumption? That brings us to some of the evolution of our program. I think just as you described it, Steve, that's how we started the program five years ago. That was the, that's what the program looked like then. 
since then, we've tweaked the model every year. In fact, at one point, we went to covering fewer accounts and doing it more in depth. And since then, uh, the last two years or so, we've evolved the model once again, where again, we're back to 50 accounts, but it's really a hybrid model, a, a blended model, as ITSMA would call it, where a portion of those accounts, 20% of them, 10 accounts, 12 accounts, um, you know, the number's a little bit fluid, but that number of accounts, we are doing strategic one-to-one long-term ABM where the accounts rarely move out of the program. They might be in the program for 18 months, 24 months, three years, something like that. The balance of the accounts, that's a pretty large number, you know, about 40 of them are shorter term, lighter touch ABM, where over time we figured out there's a subset of the tactics and the approaches that we use for ABM that can be brought to bear in a short-term model. And we can support revenue opportunities that are very important within the next two to three quarters. And then after three, four, five months, move off of those accounts and pick up others that have now entered the queue. And so, do they move off because you, you failed to achieve traction there? So after a few quarters, you move them out and move someone else in? Or was it shorter term by its very nature, win or lose? Generally, we have success and we've won. And we stay somewhat engaged with that account. But for the most part, we, we move on to another revenue opportunity. So largely we move on because the deal has closed and we were successful there. There are times, of course, when it doesn't close um, or when it's uh, delayed. We may stay engaged there. We may decide that the marketing activity that was supporting the deal cycle has concluded or could be extended. So there's, you know, with all of these things, there's the individual account and what makes sense for that account. But in large part, it's because we've had success there and we want to take that same motion to other accounts. Do you see that 50 account universe expanding anytime soon? I do. I do. And um, in, in a couple of ways. So, you know, to this point, I've been speaking about what we do in North America. We have uh, a program out of SAP Global Marketing that enables ABM motions at a number of accounts globally. I would say that outside of North America, most of our regions don't have the same focus or the amount of headcount that we apply to ABM in North America, but that demand internally is growing. And so I think that there's a a strong business case for us to pick up more accounts in other geographies around the world. So that's one way. And then as I look at my own program in, in North America, coming back to your question from a couple of minutes ago, we are thinking about how do we get more Greenfield accounts into the program What's the right profile for accounts that would benefit and and for the sales team that would benefit from that motion if the accounts are greenfield? The existing clients that I talked about, in in a lot of ways, that's low-hanging fruit. There's an easier business model to be made for there. But as the sophistication and the maturity of this program has increased in the last few years, we know that there is a way that we can strategically apply it to some of the high growth and higher marketing need areas of our go-to-market strategy. One thing that's a real challenge in a lot of organizations of the size of SAP is the human element. How you structure your marketing team to grow an ABM program while simultaneously maintaining all the other marketing activities you need to do, and also how you work with sales. 
Maybe we could talk about both of those and perhaps we could start with your marketing team. Is there a ABM team that is distinct from demand gen and brand marketing and and all sorts of other areas? Or is it more of a a shared services, uh, shared capacity kind of model? Or how do you structure your marketing team to support ABM? That's, that's a great question. And it's something that we look at frequently to decide, are we, are we doing it the optimal way based on the, the overall go-to-market strategy here at SAP and how sales is configured, et cetera? And it's also generally the first question that when I meet peers from the industry at a conference or something similar, it's generally where we start that conversation. So it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Within North America, our program is structured as a center of excellence. There are seven of us in this COE, and we are embedded within field marketing. So we don't report up through the same reporting lines as as field marketing does. But my peer that leads field marketing, we are talking multiple times a day about the opportunities in front of us and the right mix of demand gen, acceleration marketing, and ABM, and then the, the relevant personnel to take on some of those opportunities. So like I said, we're, we're embedded. We have a dedicated team. That team is aligned by market unit, which in North America is primarily geographic. So East, Midwest, Canada, et cetera. Um, that's how members of my team are aligned. And through that, they get a very deep understanding and a close working relationship with the leadership of those geographic market units. And then how does the work get done? So a seven-person team is pretty lean, but calling it a center of excellence suggests that they have somewhat of a best practices and a leadership role and not necessarily full execution ownership. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But how does the work actually get done within these 50 accounts? How do you pull in the work of creative and content and, and digital and field marketing and all these other areas that you need to actually bring programs to fruition? I'm going to give a multi-pronged answer, if you don't mind. It's, like, it's a very complex question. It's a good one. So to start with, I look for marketers to join this program that have a wide-ranging experience of B2B marketing. They are going to need to toggle in their plans between events and digital and communications, you know, all of the bag of tricks that we bring to B2B marketing activity, they need to be fluent in those and think about what is the right mix for account A and a completely different mix for account B. They don't have to be experts in all of those areas, but they have to know them well enough to recommend those tactics and then to find the right resources, including other centers of excellence within our marketing team to execute. Our team actually does a fair amount of execution. So say they, they see this through from initial insight and strategic development and messaging all the way through to execution of, say, an event at the client site and the upload of the list that came from that and, and the resulting nurture strategy that comes out of it. So they'll, they'll do a lot of that. Um, they do bring in uh, other experts from around the company. For instance, we have a personalization team that knows way more about how to personalize uh, the digital experience than I do um, or that members of my team do. And they 
work side by side with us, including in that case study that you alluded to that I'll, I'll talk about at some point during our conversation. Um, that was a big part of how we approached that project. There's a digital demand center, center of excellence. We rely on our colleagues from that organization quite a bit. And then, of course, we have events specialists, and we turn to them with, with a fair amount of help. So there's you know a lot of side-by-side riding shotgun with some functional experts within our marketing team. That's, that's generally how we approach it. I agree that Seven is a fairly lean team considering the number of accounts that I talked about. If we are active in all 50 accounts at any one time, I think portions of my team would have their hair on fire. We, we kind of rely on the fact that accounts get very active at certain times of the year. Then there's a, you know, maybe a quiet period where sales is working behind the scenes on some aspect of deal cycles and, and there's less customer touch at that point. Um, so that's, that's one of the beauties of the long sales cycles. It's, just, it's not always front burner for, sometimes it's back burner. Sometimes companies focus on going very deep offline high touch with a smaller number of senior decision makers within a targeted organization. Other times they go more broad-based, more digital and lower touch to have greater reach within their target organizations. How do you approach thinking about that balance? We do both and we have to do both. There are programs, including digital ones, where, where we, we touch every account in the program and, and even a wider set um, of accounts. And it, it will be things like we personalize the experience when they come to SAP.com. And by, by personalize, I mean at the company level, not at the individual level, right? But we'll, we'll recognize them as being from that company. We will suggest to them content within SAP.com that's, that's most relevant for them. We'll direct them to their global account director because they may not know who that person is. Our insights program, where we know based on digital behavior, based on engagement scores, based on propensity modeling, a fair amount about these companies, that's done at scale as well. You can contrast that with some of the uh, events or communications activity that we do is very much bespoke for an individual customer at a time. You know, we will do a innovation day event on site for two days at a Fortune 25 food and beverage company. And that will be planned for weeks and weeks and will be an event that would only exist at that company because it's highly specific to them, what they run from SAP, what they may run from SAP, the vision that that company has. It's enabled by technology. Another example is SAP has a, uh, a large conference every year It's called Sapphire Now. And we have 22 to 25,000 attendees, three companies or five companies this year get a very high-touch, white-glove experience that involves boardroom meetings. On site, it involves SAP board members sitting with them one after another, talking through the same narrative throughout that meeting. Um, there's, of course, a ton of hospitality that takes place while they're at our conference, some of it higher-end than any other attendee gets. So we do have to jump back and forth between very high-touch in-depth, highly bespoke activity on one end of the spectrum, and then what's more scalable and what can we apply uh, to touch many companies on the other end of that spectrum. I think that's a perfect place to jump into the private equity case study that first drew my attention to you and to what SAP is doing in this space, because it is also an interesting mix of online, offline, high touch, low touch. 
I love the way you presented that as a 300 company market of one. Very interesting and attention grabbing headline for a presentation. And it was a really compelling presentation. Can you take us through a little bit of what your objectives were there and how this was a, you know, I think quite an innovative ABM play. I think it speaks to the maturity of our ABM practice that we are starting to think of new ways to apply ABM to some novel situations. And a couple of minutes ago in our discussion, I mentioned the increasing desire to include some greenfield accounts in how we execute ABM. And this is, this is a great example. So if you look at where SAP derives revenue currently, and then what are the growth opportunities for SAP, a lot of the growth for SAP is going to be with small and mid-sized companies And it's going to be with net new opportunities. So companies that don't own any SAP currently. Great place for marketing to play, but a difficult model. You know, when you have a lower win percentage and higher cost of sale and all of the things that make that difficult to pursue. One of the ways that the company has looked to scale growth and try to take down a fair amount of that in larger chunks as opposed to individual small and mid-sized companies, is by engaging with private equity companies or venture capital firms and figuring out what's the value proposition that SAP could bring to the parent organization of, in this case, a private equity firm. That phrase, a market of one, I think is from Bev Burgess from ITSMA, and she's, as you know, Steve, one of the thought leaders in our industry and specifically around ABM. When I shared that phrase within my presentation, you may recall I had a question mark next because this private equity firm at the time, and the number changes uh, like any in one of these firms, but they had 306 companies in 63 countries and they represented maybe 28 different industries. If you think about that composition of accounts, you'd be hard pressed to say that's a market of one, right? There's no industry commonality. There's no SAP lifecycle commonality. Some of them have some SAP, most of them don't. The fact that they're small and mid-sized means that they may not think of SAP in their initial consideration set when they think of enterprise software because they may think SAP is, uh, is for larger companies. Our challenge was initially, should we apply ABM? Should we think of treating them as a market of one? And we had a couple of things going for us. One is very senior leadership at our company had worked with senior leadership of that PE firm, and we signed a master services agreement. And that meant that across those 306 companies, they now all had the same buying power. Even if they were a you know, $5 million startup, they got the same discount when they purchased SAP software or services that a very large company, an existing company, might be able to get through that master services agreement. We also knew that because many of these companies were small and mid-sized, because many of them did not have SAP, there were certain portions of our portfolio that would be of most value for a company with that profile. As a marketer, I think of them as, as wedge solutions. How do we get a foothold within those accounts? There are some solutions, including those where buying power resides outside of the traditional IT buyer. Right, It may reside in the HR department or the finance department, where those departments are buying more and more technology than they did, say, 10 years ago. So that lent itself to marketing across the portfolio in a somewhat similar way as well. 
in addition to making them aware that SAP is a good fit for them, making them aware that there was a master services agreement, gave them buying power and indicated that the parent company was strongly behind this relationship. We could also look at, okay, among our vast portfolio, and our price list is like 4,400 products at this point. Among that, what three or four solutions are we going to recommend to these companies? And let's direct their attention there. That was our starting point. Did you go after all 300 or all 306 or whatever it is? Or did you do some account selection work within that universe of 300? That's a great point. So that's where our insight program came to bear. Across that list of 300, we we wound up with a target list initially of 30 accounts. And we combined a couple of things. We have a uh, an in-house insight program that based on digital behavior of our target companies, we know through keyword searches, et cetera, where their interests lie. That was one. We could look at which of these companies have been engaging with SAP and SAP marketing activity to date, who scored higher on engagement. We have some internal proprietary propensity models that say accounts with these characteristics look a lot like our existing successful customers. And therefore, this propensity model helps us identify those that would be the best fit among that 300. So the combination of those things allowed us to make a recommendation to the sales leaders for this PE firm and say, based on this, here, Mr. or Mrs. Salesperson is where we think your time would be best spent with this list of accounts. So that was also our starting point. I'll add to that, that we did not want to do that and create blind spots for us among the other 270 accounts. So when you and I talked a couple of minutes ago about programs that we can do at volume, at scale, we brought in some of those types type of programs, including the uh, personalization within the SAP.com website so that we could touch all of the accounts at once and not overlook any that just maybe had not thrown up the smoke signals yet, but wound up being some relevant opportunities for us. So all 306 got a personalized welcome. You, you are a part of this PE firm's portfolio. Welcome to SAP kind of red carpet, I guess uh, you might call it on more of an inbound in case they got wind of this and came your way, but you focused your more concerted efforts on the 30 you felt were the best fit. Am I getting that right? You are. You are. And and for that wider group of 270, I like to think about how we all buy cars these days, right? Very few of us say, I need to buy a new car. I'm going to walk onto a lot later today, right? Instead, we all do a ton of research online. And we see that, of course, in in the B2B space with a lot of the, the buyers of enterprise technology. They do that same research up front. And so as part of their research, if they come to SAP.com, and in general, they, they often would because we're one of the, the market leaders in the space, we want to recognize them with a splash screen that indicates, as you said, you're part of this larger private equity entity. Based on that, here's some things we think you should know. Here's some, some topic areas we want to draw your attention to. Here's a video from the chief procurement officer of your parent company explaining why they've selected SAP as the partner of choice for technology within your company and the other 305 under portfolio. And then here's an introduction to this master services agreement, which you probably didn't know about before we just shared it with you right now. So uh, fairly compelling content. And then the think of this almost like a uh, amusement park ride. When they came to the end of that ride, that's when we introduced them by photo 
and name and contact information to their global account director. Um, that was another thing that we had going for us across these 300 and some accounts. We had one global account director. So that made it a little bit less of a challenge to market to them as a market of one. So you had a concerted push on 30, but any number of the 270 could bubble up through their own engagement in this personalized online experience. And and then they would be into your wheelhouse, I guess. Exactly. And that's when we then turned on outbound for, you know, the outbound was already happening for the 30 accounts. um, But then based on interactions and signals that we saw from the other 90%, uh, that's when we started to turn on outbound for a portion of them that scored high enough that bubbled up, as you said. Okay, so that's the digital play. Now, I know there was an offline play here as well. How did that come together? There were uh, a number of things. So one is we had a dedicated webcast series for just those accounts. You know, we do a lot of webcasts at SAP and a traditional one. We are very happy if we have 500 or 700 attendees. If I'm doing a webcast series just for this specific group of accounts, we may only get 20 attendees or 30 attendees, but if they're the right 20 or 30, that's a big measure of success. So we had outbound callers and outbound emails that were letting contacts within those companies know about this webcast series that took place monthly. So that was one tactic. Another was we um, started participating in the company's Slack channel. And that was a, uh, a Slack channel that was specifically for the CIOs of all of their member companies. So, you know, one of the benefits of being under that PE portfolio is these companies can now compare notes and, uh, and discuss how to grow. And for the, the IT personnel and the CIOs, that was one of the ways that they did so is, is through this Slack channel. At the time, um, we were the only IT vendor that was actively participating in that Slack channel. It's partly because we had sponsorship, but it was partly, I think, because we took the initiative as well. And then the other thing that we did was that same CIO community within the, the PE firm portfolio of companies, we started participating in the events that they do. And they have three or four of them throughout the year. We made sure we were present there. Again, I think we were, you know, initially at least the only vendor that was participating in those meetings. And for one of them in in Europe, CP offered to host it and they took us up on that. That was a great way to get high engagement um, with this market of one. Were these events something that anyone could have bought their way into and you just chose to? Or were you there only because you had developed that relationship with the parent firm? It was a combination of the two. So because of that relationship, we had early knowledge of this. We put it on a a calendar of activities. We could think about in a very thoughtful way how we wanted to approach it. I think probably a handful of companies that are some of the, the largest technology providers in the world could have attended and participated in those meetings we were perhaps, I guess, given a first right of refusal or first option on that by dint of the relationship. And I guess that relationship also really created a halo effect, didn't it? It wasn't like, oh, look, here's SAP, so what? It was like, oh, here's SAP, and the leadership of the parent firm is vouching for them in various ways and, and creating this, this field in which we can all engage together. And I mean, I, I got to imagine that that's sort of the halo effect of that parent firm blessing was very valuable in all of this. It is. And think about the core competency of that parent company. What they know is growth and valuation of the companies that they manage. And if they are making a recommendation that your valuation will increase if you adopt SAP, 
And it's why we are endorsing them. It's why we are bringing them into this closed-door environment to some extent. That's a very strong endorsement. It's where any provider of software or services would want to be. So that, that was really a great benefit to us. You're right, that relationship. But then we had to think about how to capitalize on that, not only from sales, but what marketing activity could help capitalize on that as well. Tell us about results. In a very strategic way, you went after this group. Uh, you went hard after 30 of them. You had a play for the other 270. You were online and offline. You were in the field. What were the results of all of this? So earlier, I, I mentioned uh, revenue, velocity, and the and size of deal or value of deal as, as our primary metrics. Let me start with revenue. Actually, let me save that. Let me save that as the, the dessert. Uh, with velocity, I will tell you that the global account director came to us in April of 2018 and said, here's the situation. Can you help me? And so, you know, like a, any publicly traded company that has fiscal year that matches the same calendar year, we now had uh, eight months or less to try to make some revenue with her um, out of, of this opportunity. So you need some velocity there because our sales cycles are, are oftentimes longer than that. So there was a velocity play and, and all of this activity being as concentrated and as targeted as it was helped with that. The revenue, she had a, uh, a revenue target that she defined as, as very aggressive. And, you know, she was confident, but she was somewhat anxious about it too. Like I think anybody would be in, in that position. I will tell you that the ultimate success of the program can be described that by the end of that calendar year, we had successfully taken down twice the amount of revenue that she was projected to bring in. Um, so we're talking about eight figures. You know, it was, it was a very significant amount of, of revenue. It was twice the amount that she was projected to bring in. And as a result, she's been promoted to a vice president. And there's another global account director that has moved into this role. Well, that sounds like a big win all around. It is. And, and we look at this as a proof of concept that we can now take to similar private equity firms and really to similar communities. So if there is a non-competitive partner out there that has a channel that it would make sense for us to market to. If there's a chamber of commerce that has a strong affiliation with a group of member companies, we can figure out which aspects of this approach and the ABM approach overall can we then take to those other communities. And again, it all comes back to the company strategy of trying to grow in areas that require volume marketing and so how do you take this ABM approach that has typically for us been small volume, highly concentrated, and how do we turn that a bit so that we can do some volume marketing and help the company get to that overall growth goal? It's a really interesting approach to the market. And I find it fascinating the way you broke out of the mindset that, hey, we're just for big companies and you know we have long sales cycles and we have big deals and very focused on really large companies. And, and it sounds to me like you kind of said, hey, well, what if? You know, what if we brought down a volume of smaller and, and mid-sized companies, but not as a one-off? I mean, what if we found a way to do them together. And 
who would be the partners in that and how would we do it? And then you, you went out and you piloted it and you proved it. And now you've got a repeatable model. That's a wonderful way to go about doing this. And I found it very inspiring when I first heard you explain this. And I'm sure that there's a lot of application for a lot of firms, the way they're thinking about this kind of blend between volume and focus and, and how those, those things are not necessarily at tension with each other. They can actually come together if, if you structure it in a, uh, in a really smart way. So I'll thank you for sharing that, Eric. Um, that, that's a really interesting story. My pleasure, Steve. It, it was great to participate. I hope I didn't give my competitors too many ideas, but um, <laughs> you're right. Well, the, cat, the cat was out of the bag in Boston because <laughs> some of your competitors in that audience listening uh, along with me. But thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time. This community, the Flip My Funnel community, cares a lot about coming together and inspiring and educating each other. And you have delivered on both of those. Thanks so much. Eric Martin, he's VP of Marketing for ABM in North America at SAP. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thank you, Steve. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.